All right, what's up, Jordan? This is LTS Quick Snaps. First one that we've done, basically a miniature version of our Let's Talk Sports with Kanoa Leahy and Jordan Helly podcast. Uh, and we're doing this special kind because we wanted to focus on the first two episodes of The Last Dance, the 10-part docu-series about Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls and basically that last season together in 97-98, which led to their second three-peat and their sixth overall championship. Uh, we just got done watching the first two episodes, and like the rest of the universe, we are still buzzing about this thing, and it was part of the reason why we decided, hey, look, let's just carve this out, and we can do uh, kind of a 15 to 20-minute spiel on the first two episodes, so let's just kind of get into it. The first show, obviously, I mean, just the way it started was about as cool as it gets, right? That shot uh, behind Michael Jordan right now uh, in his older years a little bit and the silhouette of him in front of that big bay window um and he also has like a glass of whiskey next to him and a cigar next to him for the entire interview it's just the epitome of cool uh, but that's how it started and and the initial establishment i think of the story was all right well let's point out some of the pili kia first and it was jerry reinsdorf and jerry Krause, and bringing up the question of how the heck could something so good and so great come off the rails in the way it did. They sort of established that question, and then we started to weave our way through some of the backstories and, and more of the details about how this team, this dynasty, came together. But let's just kind of start off with your top takeaways. It's everything we hoped for. Uh, episode one, I, I'm right there with you. I, I think what stood out is kind of getting a refresher on what the dynamic was behind the doors, be inside the Bulls building, if you will, between Jerry Krause, the general manager, and really everybody else on the team, whether it was Michael, whether it was Scotty, whether it was Phil Jackson, and kind of how Jerry Reinsdorf, the owner of the Chicago Bulls, factored in to this tenuous relationship. And that's my big takeaway with that. And Krause being basically juxtaposed as the foil, as kind of the villain mm -hmm. to Michael's, you know, hero, to Phil Jackson, and just how much that reminds, I think, a lot of people almost immediately of New England and the New England Patriots and, and how that all kind of unfolded. And we don't need to spend a lot of time on that, but just how similar some of those things are when it comes to personality struggles and ego battles and wanting to be known as the person responsible for this unprecedented success. And then it ending with Jerry Krause basically being booed at the ring ceremony to start the 97-98 season, which I thought was a perfect way to kind of wrap up that first episode where everybody's getting cheered. They're coming out at the United Center, but the one guy who gets booed is Jerry Krause by the 20,000 fans uh, there on Madison. A lot of the footage for this thing and, and the footage that was shot throughout that last season, which was referred to as unprecedented access footage, uh, it was sealed up. And it wasn't until we just heard in, in stories prior to the premiere uh, that it wasn't until the Cavs came back against the Warriors in 2016 to win the NBA Finals that Michael Jordan was like, all right, I'm, I think I'm ready to get this out there. And you wonder what really was the motivation behind that? Is, is that MJ just trying to make sure that he can lock his long-term legacy down a little bit more? Uh, because I think what this documentary, and really so much of the footage, even the, the footage that we're more familiar with, what they did such a great job with was presenting Michael Jordan as this larger-than-life figure. And it comes down to the angle from which they shoot him walking down a hallway or getting out of his car, and you're sort of looking up at him, and you see him as this literal larger-than-life figure. That, to me, 
played such a big role in reminding us, man, this guy was at unprecedented heights of fame and celebrity. And I, I think it's easy for us to forget about that. This was the ultimate in terms of worldwide and global fame. There was almost a mythical nature to the Chicago Bulls. And I think that uh, these first two episodes did a great job of setting the tone for that, of just how they were perceived and how huge they actually were. They were the Beatles, man. And that's why even to this day in 2020, and obviously this is exacerbated by the fact that we're in a quarantine and we need some content, but that's why people are so excited about this thing. I spent, this is a true story, the half hour prior to the start of episode one, uh, I spent on YouTube just looking at Michael Jordan highlights, just like getting myself in the mood. It's like when you go to see Bruno Mars or something and you're riding in the car to the venue and you're <laughs> listening to Bruno Mars music to get you in the mood. It was like the same thing I was doing just to get hyped up uh, for these first two episodes. I think that's an accurate depiction of the a anticipation surrounding this thing. It, it just the, the amount of chatter between friends uh, that I've had, the amount of run that it's gotten on social media, it felt like the lead up to a big playoff game, a championship type atmosphere. Uh, and I think that's the lasting legacy of this group. And I, and I get it. That's partly why maybe guys like Michael didn't want to really unveil some of this stuff because there may be some misconceptions. There may be some things taken out of context or something like that. But as a fan, it's just unbelievable to get that inside access to it all. And, and I thought, I'm with you, I thought they did a great job of building the foundation and, and really laying the groundwork as to where things were in 1997, 1998, and then using that different points uh, throughout that season. And, and we're really pretty early on to, as portals, as, as windows into the past to tell the story even further and more in depth and build layers onto it mm -hmm. of Michael's beginning of Jerry Krause's beginning of, you know, in episode two, Scotty's origin stories, if you will. Yeah. They set a, an incredible tone, I think, with regard to personal or interpersonal relationships, Phil Jackson and Jerry Krause, Phil himself referring to their relationship as turning into something of a circus. And then you also have Michael about as publicly as he ever has proclaiming that Scotty's the greatest teammate he's ever had mm -hmm. and that any time you mention Michael Jordan and his greatness and accomplishment, it should be accompanied by a mention of Scotty Pippen. And Michael Jordan himself says, I never won without Scotty, which is interesting and ironic because that is often used as a way for people to criticize him. They're like, well, he never won without Scotty, you know, and, and it's funny to then hear Michael Jordan so willing to say, oh yeah, that's, that's absolutely true. Scotty was my guy and he was the reason why I was able to accomplish all the things that I accomplished. I thought that was pretty fascinating. Those were some of my top takeaways for sure. Him saying Scotty was the best teammate of all time stuck out with me and, and that's something that I think will be pretty profound coming out of it. And yeah, for, for episode two, some of my takeaways definitely centered around Scotty. And, and I think they did a nice job of, of rebuilding the disrespect, I think, that was surrounding Scotty Pippen, right, with the contract situation. I'd forgotten it was seven years and 18 million. What a steal, that 122nd highest paid player in the league. Uh, at that point, it, it, that's insane. He was the what, the the fifth, sixth best player, uh, sixth paid highest player paid player on that team. on the Bulls, that's on the crazy. Chicago Bulls. And in, keep in, in mind, in that year, Michael mm -hmm. Jordan was getting paid thirty three million dollars. <laughs> yeah, and Scottie Pippen was getting paid a little under three million dollars. Like that's outrageous. And hey, look, that's yeah. on Scottie. He signed that 
seven-year deal, right, for $18 million. And so that was as much on him as anybody. But with all the success that they had, overwhelming success, the organization could have very easily done him a solid. And so, you know, you can sympathize with Scotty to a degree, even if you don't agree with the way he went about his decision and the timing of his decision to have the ankle surgery prior to the season, which forced him to miss over 30 games. Is it me or does Michael seem more likable or more receptive to the idea of putting himself out there? And I think this happens to come on the heels of when he spoke at Kobe Bryant's memorial service at Staples Center and was openly affected emotionally by the loss of a guy he referred to as a friend. And he had even the level of self-deprecation to reference the crying Jordan memes. (laughs) Uh, And something that it seems to be such a departure from what we saw even when he gave his Hall of Fame induction speech, which at times was petty. You know, he's even talking about fighting for his dad's attention and approval and and exposing some of that vulnerability. And and for me, this has humanized Mike a lot. He is still Mm -hmm. larger than life. He is still the man. He's still sipping on the whiskey. He's still got the cigar right there. He's still (laughs) clutching it in the middle of the interview. I totally dig that. Uh, But there's something that's still a little bit more relatable. The other thing that stands out throughout the, the first couple of episodes, just every interview that they really show from when he was a freshman at North Carolina to his rookie year and every other point in between all the way up to that. He is as composed as can be. He gives the perfect answer. He's unflappable. And that is by design, right? He, he was always in that mindset. And so you never got in depth with Michael. You got the perfect answer every time. You got a little bit of humor mixed in here and there, but he was always well rehearsed, if you will, um, and well calculated in how he responded to things. And so my big surprise in a lot of this was just how much, as you pointed out, he was willing to open up. This is maybe more of a sociological question or experiment, but uh, which version did you watch? Was it the clean version on ESPN2, or did you watch the one that had some adult expletive language attached to it on the regular ESPN? Yeah, you know, I don't have children. I don't have younger folks in the household. So for me, it was a no-brainer. Like, I'm going to watch the unadulterated version with the language and everything that comes with it just because I want the I want the full picture I want the full access and behind the scenes footage I get it I think it's brilliant that ESPN and and the filmmakers figured hey we'll, we'll put a clean version on ESPN too we'll put the the unfiltered version on ESPN but uh, yeah no brainer for me uh, I was in there for the f-bombs and and everything in between I mean, MJ dropping F-bombs, like that's almost worth the price of admission (laughs) right there. Uh, I almost wanted more. Yeah, I know. No kidding. It's like, (laughs) wow, MJ really kept it together and clean here for the majority of these uh, interviews so far. All right. So we have to, at some point here, talk about Jerry Krause. Uh, What do you make of that line of thinking? We've won five in seven years. I'm going to try to see if we can blow it up and then I can build it from scratch again. Uh, What is it? How do we reconcile that? The first episode, right, it's like, man, I forgot how big Jerry Krause's ego was when you get a little bit of a, a, a window into the dynamic there and the, just this battle of mega personalities. But I, I will say, it's not like I'm a huge Jerry Krause fan, right, because he broke up the best thing that, that ever happened in, in my sports fandom. But it's not like he was some schmuck, right? I mean, he put this team together. Sure. And he had the he had the foresight to sign Scotty to that extremely friendly team-friendly deal. He had the foresight to trade Charles Oakley. He built both iterations of those championship teams. And, and so it's not like he was some idiot 
and just was along for the ride or something like that. It struck me, and to, to kind of relate this to, to current times as well, is as very Belichickian, right? Where, where Bill Belichick tried to get rid of Tom Brady even before they won those last two Super Bowls that they did together. Like he was going to sell very, very high because he had that self-belief, whether it's delusional or not. This guy who had built four Super Bowl championships uh, was looking to, to, to figure out the next phase because he was going to get out in front of it before it tanked and before it became a salvage project. And he wanted to keep that thing on an upward trajectory. As crazy as that sounds, right? I think it's very similar to what Jerry Krause maybe was approaching this thing as like, hey, yeah, we want five and seven. How much more can we get out of this? Or do we start pivoting? I'm that genius in, in the way I've built these teams. And Jerry Reinsdorf has given me the carte blanche to go figure this out. And I'm going to get out ahead of it. Hey, we're not going to pay Scotty. We're going to figure it out. He, he maybe can go this way. Phil's done his thing. We'll find another coach. We'll figure this out. Like It, it strikes me as very Bill Belichick where it's like, the self-belief, and I'm not saying he was correct in thinking that, but I think that's where he's coming from, where it's like, I've got that kind of vision, uh, even though I think a lot of folks, myself included, would have been like, uh, let's just see how long this lasts, and uh, we'll figure it out when we get to that point. Like, I think he was trying to get ahead of the curve, uh, but it ended up just all blowing up, right? And they were never even close to what they were in 1998. I can understand from a strategic standpoint, if you really in terms of his basketball acumen was convinced that, all right, we need to do something to prevent ourselves from becoming what the Lakers became post showtime, right? Where it kind of mm -hmm. fell apart and it took them a while to get back on track. I can understand that still don't necessarily know if it applies in that particular situation, but I can understand that level of thinking. The problem is it very clearly and simply seems like a lot of his motivation was based on feeling a sense of jealousy and envy that he wasn't receiving the same level of credit that a guy like Phil Jackson was, or certainly that the players themselves were receiving. And if that is part of your motivation, if that is sort of the corner <laughs> from which you are operating, that's not basketball wisdom. That isn't necessarily the basketball acumen that Jerry Krause can be legitimately credited with in putting the Bulls dynasty originally together. I mean, what they mentioned about where the Bulls were before they drafted Michael and they were being basically outdrawn uh, at the gate by an indoor soccer team. Like, that's just ridiculous to think that that was square one and then they were able to uh, turn into what they turned into. But I think, yeah, that is why those decisions have to be called into question because it doesn't sound as though he was operating from a pure basketball stance. Um, all right, what did you wish there was more of? What did you wish maybe there was less of through the first two episodes? Yeah, I don't know if I wanted any less of anything. Um, I, yeah, more I episodes could, would have been nice. <laughs> more episodes would have been nice. Uh, how many more days till episode three and four? Uh, one thing, and I'll take this kind of lighthearted in this little mini segment of the quick snap. Charles Oakley. I need me more behind the scenes footage of Charles Oakley. And I get, like, the dude was a bully, man, and he still kind of is. But that's why we love Charles Oakley. But uh, him slapping Scottie Pippen upside the head, I need more of that. Like, I need... I need more of that access. And I get it. That was a lot earlier than some of this footage that uh, the filmmakers got their hands on. But uh, I can use a little more of the behind-the-scenes locker room practice footage. We got a little bit of that. It took us to like 20 minutes into episode two before we saw MJ like laying into teammates in practice. I feel like we'll probably get a little bit more of that. But uh, that's what I want to see a little more. 
that's something that I, I'm anticipating getting more of and looking forward to. Uh, but I thought they did a great job with just some of the highlights with his college years. Man, he was wicked, man. Like, just crazy. And I think we're, we're forgetting that rocking windmill dunks, like, underrated, maybe one of the best in-game dunks ever. And we just, like, gloss over it sometimes. And I thought that was a great reminder. The way they put together the montage of his 63-point uh, outburst against the Celtics in Game 2 uh, of that series in the playoffs where he played golf with Danny Ainge the day before Game 2. This was after he scored 49 in Game 1. Uh, and then he's not playing golf very well, and he tells Danny to tell the fellas that they got something coming to them the next day. And they played those highlights over LL Cool J's I'm Bad. And I was like, dude, this is the best documentary maybe I've ever seen. Like, that clinched it right there for me. It could not have been more perfect i figured you'd enjoy the era appropriate hip-hop laid over the michael highlights because it's just it's poetry but then also the story of him playing golf with danny age with actual footage of him playing golf with danny age in the off day between games one and two that's bananas <laughs> that's wild all right any just general observations how about a shout out to our guy larry beal getting that is right. on the show yeah that was pretty awesome i texted him he wasn't even watching he was dvring it he told me that he was listening to our last podcast episode when hey. i texted him so larry's good brother uh bob costas's hair from 1980 what working at that? wgn how's that yeah that <laughs> wow one of my other favorite takeaways uh, that just made my heart hurt a little bit as a Chicago sports fan was when they were asking Mike and he got into the the spiel about, you know, rebuilding and he, he ain't here to rebuild uh, and basically say, he's like, what, what the Cubs been rebuilding for like 42 years? How's that gone for him? And I was like, Ooh, uh, all right, man. Uh, this was a lot of fun. I think it was, it was so highly anticipated that, uh, we were excited about getting into it. Uh, so I guess give you maybe like a, a final thought, something that you're looking forward to. Yeah, you know what I'm looking forward to, and it's kind of a big picture look at it, is just what it, what's the tone going to be like? I'm, I'm real curious where they're taking the story. I, is this a celebration of the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan? Is this a tragedy? Uh, because we've already got the hero and, and the, uh, the, the foil, if you will. Is Michael, what, is Michael Jordan a bit of an anti? I'm really curious to see the storytelling in the final eight episodes uh, as this thing unfolds. Uh, eight more episodes. They can't come soon enough. And we're looking forward to uh, more of these shows for sure. Hey, thanks, Jordan. Have a good one, man. Thanks, man. Can't wait till next Sunday.